You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. So I'm so excited for this brand new series that we are starting today. We wrapped up a series last week. Um, if you missed any of that, you can catch it online on the website or on the podcast. Really great response from that. God's been doing a really great work in people's lives from that series. And really excited as we look to this series coming up in November that we are kicking off today. And it's called The Table. So if you're wondering what the deal was with The Table up here now, you know, right? Come on, it's like the best prop ever for a series title. We've actually got a table right up here. And the thing that's amazing about a table is when people come and gather around a table. There's all kinds of different tables in our houses, right? And back in the day, years ago, when people would build homes, people wanted rooms that were very separate, right? There was a formal dining room, right? It was all separate by itself. And if you grew up with a dining room like that, you know what that was like, right? That's where the fine china went. Like the, You weren't even allowed to, don't even touch that table because you might scratch it, right? That's for the guests. We didn't sit around. Those were special occasions. That were the, where we had the holiday meals, right? But then something happened, you would just have like the, the table in the kitchen, and that was the table you just said, have coffee, you'd have your breakfast. That was for all the peasants, right, like us. We didn't get to sit in the fine dining room. We just got to sit at the kitchen table. But then something happened. People began to change their preferences, and then people didn't want separate rooms in a house, right? You ever seen those shows where they come in, they look at a house, and like, oh, we'd have to take down every wall in here. They're like, well, it's going to be $45,000 to put this beam up. Oh, that's fine. At least I don't have to look at that wall, right? we got to have the open floor plan. Now people want to come in. And they want to be able to see the TV from the dining table. You want to be able to see the kitchen sink from the front door. People just want it completely open. Now you sit at the kitchen island. I mean, some people don't even sit at a table anymore to eat. But that's just how times have changed. But the thing that hasn't changed is it's great to still gather around a table. And the great thing about gathering around a table, whether it's in a dining room, whether it's in the kitchen, whether it's the kitchen island, is gathering around the table and eating food. Come on, somebody. We are coming into the holiday season. We are coming into the highest calorie count of the entire year. It's going to be amazing. I'm already exercising, just anticipating the extra calories I'm going to consume. But I think about my childhood, and I think about the table that we always sat around. And the thing that was really interesting is that my mom and my dad both like to host people. They both like to feed people. And people are always talking about, like, their Italian heritage. You're like, oh, well, grandma was Italian, and mom was Italian, so they fed us. Well, we're not Italian, like, at all. And I can actually prove that now, because I did one of those little ancestry DNA tests. I geek out on that stuff. And it turns out, surprise, that I'm actually mostly British. So I don't know if like being British is like a hospitality thing, but in our home, it was definitely a big deal. I think a little bit might have it to play in with my mom. She was one of nine kids. So with mom and dad, that's like 11 people, table for 11 every week. And so she never learned how to cook a small portion. That's what she would always say, which was probably a good thing because I was one of one of five kids. And so there were seven of us. Mom had to cook for seven every week. But mom liked to cook and prepare food. And then my dad also liked to feed people too, just to have that experience. No joke. One time I remember having friends over for college. They came home and visited with us from out of state. They stayed with us. And my mom was making like this full-on meal, like a roast, like the whole nine, like the whole homemade meal. And my dad is literally ordering pizza and feeding us pizza while my mom is making this meal. So like within just a couple hours, each other, we're like gorging on this pizza. Then we eat this full meal. And of course, dessert comes rolling out. One of my friends looks at me and he's like, I am not trying to be offensive. I just don't think I can eat a single, I can't put anything else in my mouth. I am so full. But that's just something that we did. And I would actually, maybe that's your experience. Maybe you just like, you just had, grew up in a family where just everyone 
everyone ate. Didn't matter if you were Italian. Didn't matter if you were Polish, German, Irish, English. You just ate, right? You just we sit around the table. We have a good time together. And I think about some of the great memories that I have around the table, coming together and eating, right at Christmas time, at Thanksgiving, the birthday parties, all the all the special meals, all the special event. There's just something that's so amazing about coming around the table and eating a meal together. Matter of fact, the Bible is all about food too. You don't believe me? The story of Bible is full of food. Matter of fact, as soon as God creates everything, makes the heavens, makes the earths, he makes the garden, he makes Adam and Eve and puts them in there, what's the first thing he tells them? Hey, go eat from any tree that you would like, right? He's all about food right from the very beginning. Jesus himself is all about food. Did you know this? That 70% of the stories, the parables that Jesus told have something to do with food. He figured out the formula. If I can just get people hungry, they're going to listen to the story that I have to share, right? Matter of fact, Jesus was always coming or going, it seemed like anyway, when you read the stories of Jesus, he was always coming or going from a meal, right? He was sitting down and eating with these people. He was going to another meal. He was going to eat with those people. He would do food miracles. I mean, the guy multiplied food. He turned water into wine. I mean, that's a pretty cool trick, right? I mean, he was all about the food. So the Bible starts with food. The Jesus is always, always about food. And matter of fact, at the end of of the story. In the book of Revelation, it says that we will come together at the supper of the lamb. Come on, somebody. God's about to roll out a calorie-free, all-you-can-eat buffet for all of us at the end. Al Garrett's back there, amen, and right now, he's just got his hanky up in the air. Come on, somebody. That's how the story ends. We sit around the table, and we just unbuckle that belt, and we just eat, right? It's all about food, because the table is an important space for people. But here's what you got to get today. The table is meant to be full of food. The table is meant to be full of food. I mean, it's fine coming around a table, right? And, it is, and you just, you know, playing a card game or sitting there drinking coffee. But there is just something special that happens when that table is full of food and people can come around and share that food. I'm, I'm so thankful. My wife loves to cook. She loves making things. She's always trying new things and new recipes and just creating things and for us to eat. And she's really good at that. She's actually really gifted at that, at, at hosting and being really hospitable and making food like our birthday parties, it is seriously a spread like you have never seen before, right? It's, it's amazing. And the, and the great thing is we have complimentary gifts because her gift is to make the food. And I have a spiritual gift to eat the food. I mean, come on, somebody. I am gifted at eating food. I mean, I just, I'm so good at it. But it's amazing when the table is full of food. And now that I've got you really good and hungry today, I've got an empty table up here without any food on it. Good news is in a couple of weeks, we're having tree-lined Thanksgiving, and we're going to eat breakfast up in here. It's going to be amazing. You're not going to want to miss it. But see, as we're talking about this, we're not talking about simply a dining table or a kitchen table in someone's house. In this series, I want to begin to talk to us and talk about the table that is the church. Yes, the table at Tree Line, but even the table at the Capital C Church, the church in large, by large, that, that we can see the church as a table for people to come and gather around. And see, when the table is full of food, we can see that the table at our church at Tree Line, at the church in large, should be full of resources for people to partake in. It should be full of people who are sitting around it, and it should be full of conversation. So what is on this table? And we, when we ask this question, we talk about the church being a table. As we dive into this series over the next couple of weeks, we have to ask ourselves, what is on the table here at Treeland? What is on the table at this church? And, and for me, really, I believe that this table should be full of reconciliation. 
This table should be full of people who have the opportunity to reconcile their relationship with God. Maybe they have never made the step to truly know who God is. Maybe they've never surrendered their life, or maybe at one time they were following after God, but they can come to church and have an opportunity to reconcile their relationship with him. See, I believe this table should be full of the opportunity to reconcile relationships, that there are people in maybe marriages that are broken or on the rocks, or, or maybe people in their families or their friendships, that there are relationships that can be reconciled at this table. I believe that there's reconciliation for people's identity in Christ at this table. See, the world tells us a totally different message. They say that our identity is wrapped up in our successes and our failures, the things that we've done well, the things that we've achieved, how well we've done for ourselves, or even the things that we've messed up, the mistakes that we've made, the failures that we've had. That's what we're told defines our identity. But God tells us something else, and this table should be full of an opportunity for people to find their identity in who Christ is, that it doesn't rise or fail, fall on our successes or failures, that our identity is in him. See, at this table, there's inner healing for people who need to find healing from emotional things or things that happened in their past. At this table, there should be outer healing, recognizing that God is still a God who heals today and that he is able to heal us. And there should be healing at this table. I'm really excited about this one. There should be baptism at this table. See, baptism and water baptism is just an opportunity for someone to go public in their faith. They're saying, I have made a decision to follow after Jesus, and I'm going to go public in it. So water baptism is just a way of saying, hey, I'm all in. Remember that old person that I used to be? Well, now I'm going to declare and go public so everyone can know, everyone can see that I'm going public with this thing. And this table should be full of opportunities for people to go public with their faith through baptism. See, at this table, I believe that it can be full of an opportunity for people to find a call to ministry. See, people will find that, that, people have give, that God has gifted them in unique ways. And not only has God gifted them and given them skills, but he's actually put a call upon their life to do ministry. Maybe, maybe, maybe locally, maybe in a church, or maybe in missions. But I've seen it over and over again that people have found a call to ministry at this table. See, at this table, it should be full of people who are finding not only a call to ministry, but their purpose and their calling. So we said the two greatest days of your life, if you've been around here, you've heard me say this before. Number one, the day you were born, and then second day is the day you discover why. And at this table, we want to help people discover their God-given purpose, talents, and abilities that God has placed inside of us. At this table, it should be full of an opportunity for hope for the hopeless, that people who have no hope, people who are, are struggling, people who are like, man, I, I just don't know what I'm living for. I'm just punching the clock and it just seems like I'm going through the routine and the motions and what's this life about that there can be hope for the hopeless. As we talked about it this morning, this table should be full of an opportunity for people to find the joy of the Lord and know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. This table should be full of opportunities for ministry. I think about the kids who we minister to every single week here at Treeline. I'm so thankful for the opportunity that we have to minister to them at this table. I heard this recently that in a race to a child's heart, the first one there wins. And so we want to have an opportunity as a church to have a table full of kids ministry opportunities so that we can do ministry to our kids so they can come to know who God is from a young age. At this table, there is opportunity in ministry for teenagers. There's an opportunity for them to come and discover who God created them to be, that God has a plan for their life, that God loves them, that he cares about them. And this table is full of opportunities to do ministry for them and help them understand and help them connect with God. 
There are other ministry opportunities, an opportunity to, to worship, to be able to just come in and, and say, God, this week has been crazy. I just need to unplug, unwind, and just, just for a moment hit that pause button and just really focus on you and your goodness, that you are for me, that you love me. And as we sing these songs about God and worship who he is. This table is full of opportunities of getting teaching and being able to learn about God's word and apply it to our lives and to equip us for the life that God has called us to live. This table should be full of opportunity to find a spiritual family. See, I don't know what your family life is like. I don't know what's going on in your world. But the church is supposed to be a place that this table is full of an opportunity to people to come and find spiritual family, spiritual brothers and sisters to do this life with, to come around us, to support us, to be there for us. You see, this table should be full of opportunities, just not even for us as a church, but for us as a city, the region surrounding us. And I don't know if you know this, but Treeline, we're just a little over a year old. And there was so much work and so much preparation that had to go into this. And there are about 11 different churches from all over the country that believed in us and supported us to help us set this table up so that there could be an opportunity to do ministry. And so at this table, there should be full of opportunities to do the same thing, to invest into other church plants that are getting started to reach people who are far from God. And see, most important for me when I think about what this table should be full of, this table should be full of opportunities to find a place to belong. See, when you came in today, there was a banner right in front of the door. When you came in, it says, welcome home. And we believe with all of our hearts that this table should be a place where people are able to come and find a place where they can connect a place they can call home, a place where they can belong. Friends, this table should be full of all those opportunities. When I think about the people sitting around the table for us as a church, I can't help but think about the unlikely people that will be sitting around this table. Something amazing happens, doesn't it, when people sit down and they begin to eat together? And you see it even with people who have differences, people who agree differently. And I could say you see there's no better way than your own family, right? Because we love our family, but you know we don't always see eye to eye together. But somehow we're able to come around that table together. Somehow we're able to come around and enjoy that food and break that bread. Something happens when people get around a table together and their life begins to change because they just see things differently than each other doesn't mean that we can't have community together. I see unlikely people sitting around this table with diverse beliefs, political thoughts and backgrounds, people coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds. I see people who are diverse, unlikely, people who are searching for answers. I see people sitting around this table who may, may be confused, may be trying to figure out what life's all about. They've, they've got questions and more questions they could possibly come up with answers for. I see people who have addictions sitting around this table, people who may be addicted to a relationship or some kind of substance or something in their life that they just can't break free from it. I see people sitting around this table who honestly, who've been hurt by the church before who maybe at one time were attending church and something happened and it wasn't God's will, it wasn't God's plan, but they were hurt by some people who themselves were probably imperfect. I see people who feel like failure sitting around this table, who feel like the weight of their past and their regrets and their mistakes and the things that they've done could never possibly ever be redeemed and they feel like total failures. I see the people who are parents sitting around this table trying to figure out what it's like to raise a child in this day and age, being like, man, this is harder than I could have ever imagined possible. I see college students sitting around this table who are in that transition and they're adulting for the first time, right? And figuring out those next steps as they move into life and transition to the next phase of life, who are making space to fill, follow Jesus wherever their path takes them. 
I see married couples sitting around this table trying to figure out what it is to put their marriage first and to follow God and put God and Christ at the center of their marriage. I see single moms and dads sitting around this table. I see kids and teens having a prominent space at this table. Isn't it funny, like, when we grow up, does anyone remember, like, the kids' table? Remember that? It was always, like, the card table that was, like, falling apart, and you had to, like, shimmy the leg up, and that's where we, like, stuck the kids over in the corner, right? Some of you are like, I prefer to sit at the kids' table today, because if you knew some of the adults, the adult, I'm over with the kids, and I get that. I hear that. It's a party at the kids' table. Well, we want the party to be at the table, and we want a prominent space. We're not shoving them back in the corner in the card table that's falling apart. We want to create a space for kids and teenagers that they can have a prominent space at this table. See, our mission and our heart as a church is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. And that only happens if there's food, if there's resource at the table, and there's a place at the table for families and kids to sit. See, friends, the table is meant to be full of food. As I think about this story and I think about a seat at the table, I think about somebody who had an opportunity to sit at a table that they didn't feel worthy to sit at. Over the last couple of weeks, we've mentioned a guy named King David. And many of us know the story of David because we understand the story of David and Goliath. And if you don't know exactly who David and Goliath was, maybe you've heard it before. David was just this shepherd boy. He was just this down-out shepherd boy, ruddy, good-looking young man. He's out there taking care of the sheep. All of a sudden, Goliath comes. He talks smack to the people of God. He's going to take them all down. And David's like, no, 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 you're not going to talk to God's people that way, right? He does the unthinkable. He gets a slingshot, some stones. He knocks Goliath out. He chops his head off. It's all in there. You guys think some of the Netflix series and you got to get in the Bible. It's crazy the stuff that's going on in there. And then David becomes a war hero and then eventually God calls him to be king. But before David becomes king, there's this other king named Saul who was already on the throne. And now God made it very clear that Saul's reign was going to end and David was going to become king. Well, as you can imagine, Saul was not down with that at all. Matter of fact, he hunted David down and tried to kill him, not once, but many times he tried to kill him. And David does something that's unthinkable, and it's a whole nother series, a series for us to get into. David chooses to honor Saul. I don't know about you, but if someone's like hunting you down, trying to kill you, the first thing I'm not thinking about, oh, he's trying to stab me. How, should, how can I honor this guy? No one, no one thinks like that, but somehow David is such a man of God, such a after man, God, after, after God's own heart, that he's like, I'm going to honor this guy anyway. And so some time passes, Saul dies, his family dies, David's now king, and David realizes that he wants to bring honor to Saul's family. And so he asks this question, is there anybody left in the kingdom? Is there anyone left from Saul's line? Is there any family member left that we can bring here that we can show honor to, to honor the previous king and his family? Well, we'll dive into the story over the next couple of weeks. There really wasn't anyone left except this one guy named Mephibosheth, which is really hard to say. Matter of fact, it's one of those Bible names that doesn't get a lot of play. I mean, there's a lot of great Bible and people are like named David, right? We know Joseph's, we know Mary's, right? We know all that. We don't know any Mephibosheth's. Like, I don't know. Does anyone ever know anyone named Mephibosheth? I've never met anyone. I know this, no one's like going through the baby names. I'm thinking Mephibosheth is cute, right? No one just like really, I don't even know if it's in the baby book, right? You go through and it's like Mephibosheth and it's never, you know, 
used zero times, right, except in the Bible. But Mephibosheth was somebody that was left. Matter of fact, Mephibosheth was Saul's grandson. He was a guy named Jonathan's son who was one of David's best friends. So this would have been his son, and he was the only one that they could find. And so he tells them, he's like, go and get Mephibosheth. David says, go and get him. I want to bring him in so I can honor Saul's family. And so what do they do? They send him. And in 2 Samuel 9, 8, we see Mephibosheth who comes to this palace. He comes to the king. He comes before David. And this is what he says. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog? like me. So Mephibosheth is like, what is going on? I don't deserve. I mean, you talk about self-pity. The guy is like, I am a dead dog. I am not worthy to sit at the palace with the king at his table. You've got the wrong guy. I understand that Saul was my grandfather and he was the king, but they're all long gone. But this is what happens, and you will continue in the story. But just to give you a little preview, in 2 Samuel 9, 13, it says this. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, which was the capital city, because he always ate at the king's table. And a little preview, little snippet into his story, he was lame in both feet. So Mephibosheth had some issues going on. He didn't feel worthy to sit at the king's table, but David didn't care. David said, I'm just looking for someone from Saul's line who I can honor. And he honored him so much that he sat at his table every single day and ate with the king. Can you imagine somebody? Come on, sitting at the king's table every single day. I mean, can you imagine the position that you put you in, the favor that you would find sitting at the king's table, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? I mean, he was king. They probably had a couple snacks in there in between. I don't know. They were probably amazing. I can only imagine. But see, as we think about this story and we talk about Mephibosheth, what we've got to understand is that many of us may feel like Mephibosheth. We feel like we don't have a seat at the table. We may see the table that is set up in the church and we're thinking that, that I'm not worthy of this. We instantly just go right to that Mephibosheth mentality. I'm like a dead dog. You've got the wrong guy. Find someone else who deserves to be there. But I want you to know that we are all like Mephibosheth. We don't deserve a seat at the table. And I am the most of all, I don't deserve a seat at this table. But it's not because of what we've done or what we've not done. It's not about our past or our history. It's simply about when we understand, when we come to a relationship with Jesus and we become a son or a daughter of God that affords us a seat at this table. So just like Mephibosheth, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's not because of what we've done. It's because of who Jesus is that we earn a seat at this table. And friends, there are so many people in our community who need a seat at this table. Why? So they can come sit at an empty table? No, there needs to be a table that is full of all of those things that we talked about, about reconciliation and hope and redemption and ministry and opportunities to connect with God and find freedom from our past. And see, this table will only be full and there will only be a seat at this table and a table to even sit at, let alone when we talk about all the things that are supposed to be on this table, if people choose to come together who are following after Jesus and begin to give like crazy. See, it takes resources in order to put food on the table. And it's just a natural thought, right? I mean, when you come together for the holidays, when you come together for a dinner, I mean, heck, even at the dinner table at the end of the day, someone had to put the work and the effort into it. Whether it's at your home, whether it's at Cracker Barrel, come on somebody, Cracker Barrel, someone had to put the work and the effort to provide the opportunity to sit down, to prepare the food, to purchase the food, to make the food, to put it on the table. And the same thing is true for us as a church. 
And I know sometimes this can get really difficult because there has been a lot of abuse with finances in the church and people just simply think, oh man, here we go. The church just wants our money. But I want you to know for us and for this church, we don't want your money. We simply don't want something from you. We want something for you. Matter of fact, we want all that God has for you. And see, we can't enter into all that God has for us until we begin living the way that he has called us and challenged us to in his word. And I would be doing a disservice to you as a pastor, as a leader, if I didn't talk to you about our giving and our finances and our generosity. Because it's something that God makes so clear in his word. And so I just want to dive in today and, and get a little practical and talk about this and just stay with me. If you're like, man, Brian, you had me with the food thing and now I'm kind of checking out. I don't know. You kind of tricked me, you know, juked us here. You know, we're at a table full of food and now we're talking about giving and generosity and money. Just, just bear with me. Just bear with me as we get through this today and through this series. I believe God's going to begin to do maybe a little bit of a paradigm shift, maybe just seeing things a little bit differently in your life. See, God absolutely tells us that we are to be generous, that we are to give. Matter of fact, maybe you've heard some of these terms before I'm going to dive into here. And in Malachi 3.10, there's this thing that God tells us to do. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Why? Because God's stingy and he needs your money? No. So that there, what, may be food in my house. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house or in the Brian translation so that there can be food on the table. See, God is asking us to bring the tithe. And what does that mean to bring the tithe into the storehouse? Well, obviously back in the day in the Bible times, they would have used what they had for what they used for money would have been what their trade was. So if they were a farmer, they would have used probably grains and those sort of things. And that's what they would give into God. Or if they were raising animals or they would have bought an animal to, to give. And we don't do that anymore. We don't like go to Walmart and, you know, use a couple pigeons to buy our cereal. That'd be kind of weird. Um, I don't know if they would take that pigeon pay. But anyway, um, is that a thing yet? We should definitely reserve that domain. Do that, Garrett. Okay. Um, but we don't do that. We don't, we don't use grain and we don't use animals. We use something called money. And so I, I want to I dive into this and just for a few moments break this down and maybe ask you this question. What is the difference between giving a tithe and the offering? See, because maybe you've been at church before and you've heard us say this. Maybe you've been at church and you've heard people say it and you're like, I have no idea what any of that means, but here comes the offering bucket and I'll put something in. I just want to take a couple minutes and get a little practical because we read this and the word tithe is something that's all throughout the Bible. But I want to start with talking about giving an offering. See, an offering is simply just the first step in our generosity. See, an offering is something that we give because our heart is moved. Many times as an offering is the first time that we encounter, experience God through giving. See, we might see a need. Maybe you see the need here at Treeline. You're like, I want to help with that. I believe in the vision of what we're doing. And God moves on your heart and you just want to give. Maybe you see something, a need in the community, or you see a child that's in need, or you see a missionary going and doing missions. Whatever it is, God moves in your heart some way and you're wanting to give. In Exodus 35, 21, people gave because they were willing and because their heart was moved. And so when our heart is moved by a need, we give an offering. 
And see, I want to challenge you that if that's something that God does on you, he moves in your heart. I don't think God's ever going to fault us for giving when he moves on our heart, right? He's like, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't tell him to give that. I'm not sure. No, God, God is thankful when our heart is moved. It maybe means that our heart is pliable, that it's, in, it's in, a, in a place that God can use it to help us to be generous, to help and meet other needs. But see, offering is the first step in that generosity. And so if you've ever wondered on the other side of that, well, what does that mean, like the tithe and the offering? Well, a tithe is something that is a number term, a math term. It means the tenth, and it's used all throughout the Bible. It's used in the Old Testament. It's used in the New Testament. And it also means first fruits. So it's not just the tenth, it's the first tenth. And see, when we're talking about tithing, there's a few things, and some of you are like starting to glaze over, just, just bear with me on this, that when we begin to tithe, it's simply recognizing God as our source. When we begin to give, when we move beyond the offering, we begin to tithe, we're recognizing that God is our source, and we're also recognizing that everything comes from him. Everything that we have comes from God, that he is our source. And by tithing, we are showing that we are on mission with him. How many of you know God wants his table full? He wants the table full in the church, right? He wants the table full of people who have the opportunity to connect with him. And when we are tithing, we are saying we are on mission with you, God. We recognize that our city, our schools, our workplaces, our homes, our families are full of people who need an opportunity to sit at this table. And when we tithe, we are saying we are on mission with you. See, the Bible actually tells us that God has given it all to us. And so when we're giving the tithe, we're not just really giving him something. We're honestly returning back to him what he's already given to us that it already belongs to him. Proverbs 3, 9 tells us that we are to honor the Lord with our first fruits. So who tithes? People who are followers of Jesus. People who recognize that he has saved us, that he has changed us, that he is so good in our lives and now we have an opportunity to give. And I'm gonna tell you, I'm not gonna stand up here and tell you today that this is easy. It is a huge step of faith. But here's what you've got to understand about giving and about tithing specifically. When we tithe, we are saying that we trust God. See, God is not interested in having your money. He wants your heart. And see, many times one of the things that keeps him from truly having our heart is that we're not able to trust him with our finances. But when we understand that he changed our lives and we step out in faith and we trust and we give, we can see that God is beginning to have our heart and maybe a way that we begin to experience joy that we never had before. See, there will be fear when you step out in faith. And this is not just in tithing and not just in giving. But specifically, when you begin to step out in faith and you begin to give, you begin to tithe, it will take a huge step of faith. You will feel that fear. Oh, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can. What's going to happen? I don't know if I can trust God. I'm just not sure about this. I wasn't raised this way. I'm not quite sure. It, just, it can be very fearful. It can be very frightening. But what you got to know is that when you begin to do this, there will be such a joy that enters your life that fear will turn into joy. Why? Why will that happen? Because then you begin to understand that when you are living on mission with God, that tithers are living for more than just stuff. We're living for more than just money. People who tithe understand that they're living for more than just themselves, but friends, that they're living for Jesus. When we understand that we are saved, that we are changed, and we take that step of faith, we begin to give 
We begin to trust the Lord that he can do more with the 90% than we keep than the 10% that we return back to him. You see, this can get people mixed up. This can get people frustrated. And I can understand how people can think that the church is just coming. This is simply a heart issue. And matter of fact, it is not just simply about giving and tithe. Matter of fact, God cares more about the condition of your heart when you're doing it than simply going through the motions. And matter of fact, it's not just simply about giving or money either. Take a look at what Jesus has to say in Matthew 23, 23. He's talking to some people who are trying to be very religious and they're saying, hey, we give, we tithe, we're in, we're doing this thing. And this is what Jesus tells these people who are trying to be religious is just checking off the boxes. He's saying, yes, you should tithe. That, that's a good thing. You should, you should do that. But then what does he say? You shouldn't leave the more important things undone either. He says, what about, what about mercy? What about compassion? What about putting others first? What about thinking of other people? What about putting me first and thinking about me and following after the plan that I have for your life? See, Jesus isn't after our money. He is after our hearts. And he simply wants to know that he is first in every single area and aspect of our life. And I know that can be challenging. I know that can be difficult. But what we've got to understand is that God is after your heart. And at Treeline, I can say with full confidence, I know I've said it, but I want to say it again, that we are not, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. We want all that God has for you. And we can't ignore what scripture teaches us about being generous and giving. And we understand that it's not just simply giving because God is broken. He needs our money. God, God, he owns it all anyway. He's just looking for some people who are going to be generous who are going to give offerings, who are going to step up and begin to tithe so that the table can be full, so there can be a place for people to sit. See, every single one of us who has said yes to relationship with Jesus, every single one of us who has found connection in small group, every single opportunity for our kids to come and know who God is, for teens to learn who Jesus is, for us to come in here and worship God together is because someone stepped up to the plate and gave and was generous so that we could have a place at this table. And aren't you thankful that the table wasn't empty when we got there? No matter where you were in your journey, that there was an opportunity to connect with God, to reconcile with him, to come to relationship with him. See, I know as we talk about this, it can be difficult, but here's what I want us to understand as we wrap this up and the band's gonna come as we finish today, is that God wants people at this table because God wants people full. See, it's great to have a table. It's great to have the seat at the table. It's great to have the food at the table. But why does God want us as a church to have the table full? It's because God wants people full. Friends, why did we start Treeline Church? Because Pittsburgh needed another church? No, because we recognize there are so many people around us. Maybe that's even your story as Treelines got started in this last year that you found a seat at this table for maybe the first time or maybe for another time in your life where it didn't seem like you would get back there. But we understand that God wants people at this table because God wants people full. And I understand that as we talk about this, it could even cause guilt or feel obligation. I want you to hear me say this today. There is absolutely no guilt and there is no obligation. There is no pressure to give. If it was simply about giving, God would have applauded those religious leaders and said, oh, look, what you did. Yep, you're giving the tithe. You're awesome. You're good. Check the box. You're great. 
But why did he challenge them? Because he cared about the condition of their heart more than the motions they were willing to go through. Friends, let me say it again. Jesus is after your heart. He's not after your checkbook. But he realizes many times what keeps him from completely having our heart is until we choose, choose to trust him with our finances. I know as we talk about this today, we may all be in different places. Maybe you're here today, Brian, you're like, I, I went through this and maybe like myself, this is not something that I'm asking us to do to church that we don't do ourselves in our own family. See, I was fortunate that even as a young man in, in high school and even college, this was something that I got and I understood and I began to put that first fruit aside begin to regularly tithe and see how God's dealt in my life and how he's blessed me and, and taken care of me, but more importantly, how I'm able to trust him. And maybe you're there, maybe you've been giving. Maybe you've been tithing. I wanna say thank you for your generosity and your giving and your support. Just continue to take that step of faith. Continue to trust God. Continue to trust God. Let him move on your heart for those offerings and say, man, I'm moved by that. I wanna give. I wanna be in mission with God. Maybe you're here today and you have the means, you have the margin to be able to give, to be able to tithe, and you've not taken that step. Maybe for you today, it's just beginning to take that step and facing that fear, that doubt, and just be like, you know what, God, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try this out. I'm gonna trust you. Maybe you're here today and you hear a message like this and you just begin to feel guilty or you begin to feel ashamed because you're like, man, Brian, I would, I would love to be on mission with God. I would love to be a tithe. I would love to give. Maybe you're just not in the place that you can do that yet. Hear me say it again. There is no guilt. There is no pressure. You are not any less of a Christ follower. But I, what I would challenge you to do is maybe spend some time with God this week. Maybe spend some time with your spouse or if you're the one that makes decisions, if you're, if you're single, whatever that looks like, and find somewhere to start. What is it about life that keeps us getting from where we're wanting to go? It's like, I want to be over there, but that's 10 steps away. But so I'm just not going to try, just forget it, right? It's like, I want to run a marathon. Do I just go out the door, throw my tracksuit on, never train a day in my life and go run for the marathon? Now that'd be insane, right? That'd be crazy. And the same thing that comes with our giving, there's nothing wrong with starting somewhere. Maybe it's not 10%. Maybe it's 2%. Maybe it's 3, 5, 8, I don't know. That's between you and God but find somewhere to start and simply be faithful there. Say, I'm gonna start with this being the first fruit. I'm not gonna wait to the end. And maybe it will require some difficult decisions. Maybe it will take juggling some finances, making some sacrifices, I don't know. But just begin to trust God. And as you begin to take that step, trust him to just take that first step. Some of you today, even beyond the giving, you just need to begin trusting God for that first step, not just in your finances, but in your relationship with him. Maybe you've had some idea what a relationship with God would look like in your family, in your life, and you're feeling like you're not there. And is this thing really worth it? Friends, just take the first step. Don't overwhelm yourself with trying to arrive at some ideal. Don't think you're gonna say yes to Jesus and step out and run the marathon. No, just take the first step. Maybe for you here today and that first step is just to start trusting God in your finances. Maybe you're here today and that first step is getting involved in a small group. It's great to sit here in the rows, but rows don't know. Life happens in circles, not in rows. Maybe your first step is to go through growth track and discover how God created you and shaped you and gifted you. Maybe your step is just to simply recommit your life to him. Friends, I don't know what that step is for you today, but I wanna encourage you to take that step. Because no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, what I want you to know that at Treeline, no matter what you do, no matter how you serve, no matter how you give or you don't, there will always be a seat for you at this table. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, I thank you that this can be a, 
a challenging message, but God, I thank you that you call us to do challenging things. And that God, you have called us as Christ followers to be generous, to give, Lord, not because you're stingy or selfish, because the church needs your money, but God, because we're on mission with you and we understand and recognize that, God, you desire this table to be full, full of resources, full of ministry, full of opportunities to connect with you, full of people who need to connect and know who you are, a place for people to connect and grow together as a spiritual family. God, I thank you. God, we give you praise and thanks for what you've done for us as a church. God, that it doesn't add up in paper, but God, we are thankful for people who chose to give and be generous, God, so that we could gather at this table. God, help us to make that next step, whatever that is. God, today, maybe you're speaking to someone and maybe you're calling them to trust them in their, your finances, God, and they're gonna make that step. God, or maybe someone's here today, they just need to make that step to trust you with their life again or get into a small group. Maybe you've been dealing and calling with them and just putting in their heart and they haven't made that step check growth track out, God, whatever that step looks like. Today, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> Maybe you're here today and you have never invited Christ into your life. You've never surrendered your life to him. And here's what I know. Every single one of us needs a savior. We can't do this on our own. We can't be good enough. We can't earn his love. We can't earn his forgiveness. That's the bad news. The good news is, is that Jesus has already taken care of it. He has already paid the price. The bill has been paid. That you can't earn it, you don't deserve it. Maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to relationship with him and today is your day. Maybe you're here today and at one point you said yes to relationship with Jesus. Maybe you were following after him. Maybe you were chasing after him. Maybe you tried your best, but then life just got busy. Things happened. Maybe something painful or maybe just life just got busy and you just didn't have a place for God anymore in your schedule. Friends, it doesn't matter what the reason is. I want you to know today that at this table, there is an opportunity for you to find reconciliation with your relationship with God, whether it be the first time or just like the sign says when you walked in, welcome home, that he has been waiting for you today in this place. So if that's you, while no one's looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm just gonna ask you in this moment, if that's you for the first time or you need to recommit your life to him, I'm just gonna ask you to slip your hand up while no one's looking around. Awesome, I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else? You can put your hands down now. Would you repeat after me and pray out loud so that no one has to pray alone? Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we cheer for those who made a decision to come for Christ today? Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees change by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.